continue to meditate on all that we just sang lyrically as we hear from the word of God for us from Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Thank you, Cynthia. Good morning. Have you ever felt like you, you walked into a room and you felt like you shouldn't be there? You, you see maybe a couple in the corner and, and you can feel the tension in the air. The woman wipes some tears from her eyes. You see the face of the man is distraught. And you think, I need to walk away. I shouldn't be in this room. And at the same time, you're, you're drawn to the story. You're wondering what's going on. You, you want to help. You want to enter in. I feel that way when I read this chapter. I feel like I've stepped into a, an intimate moment. I feel like I stepped into a room that maybe I should step out of. 
It's a, it's a moment filled with incredible weight, tears with pain. And even though I want to step out, I'm drawn to the story. I'm drawn to what is going on with Jesus. I want to know him more, and I want to see what he is going through in the Garden of Gethsemane. The reality is we, we all have our gardens of Gethsemane, a place of pressure, a place where we feel overwhelmed. We don't even know if we're going to make it out of the garden. It's so much weight upon us. It's a moment where we struggle in our lives. It's a time where we don't understand what God is doing with us. But as we step into the garden with Jesus, I hope we'll see that He will show us, reveal to us, how to endure in the middle of the garden. He draws us to follow the will of the Heavenly Father. He draws us to surrender. He draws us to look at the good, good Father who loved Jesus right in the middle of the garden and who loves us right in the middle of our Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is under incredible pressure, isn't he, in this chapter? He's feeling the crushing weight as he draws closer to the cross. But out of this crushing is going to come a beautiful oil. An oil that will come from the press. It's an oil that is an anointing, healing oil that I think our Lord is going to pour out upon us as we face our gardens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes uh, we don't even know how to enter in with you here. You paid it all. You drank the entire cup. Sometimes, Father, we don't recognize our sin placed upon you. And so this morning, Father, help us to enter in. Help us to see our brokenness and our sin. And help us, Father, to lay that before you. Because of the cross, Father, thank you. Pour out your anointing healing oil upon us as we face Gethsemane, our times of overwhelming. Father, minister to us this morning, would you please? In your precious name, amen. Well, Jesus spent time with his disciples. Josh taught us about his time in the upper room. It was his final Passover meal with them. Must have been a beautiful moment. A time where he was reminding them and trying them to understand that he is the Passover lamb. And as they go from the upper room with, with much tension, everybody's wanting to kill Jesus. They go to Gethsemane. They go eastbound across the Kidron Valley and to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
It must have been a friend's garden. He went there often, didn't he? As you study the scriptures, you see that the Lord loved to go to the Mount of Olives, go to that place and pray. And so Jesus went to the garden again with his disciples to Gethsemane. It's a place that has olive trees all over the mountain. And Gethsemane means the olive press. He went to the place of the press. And Jesus would fill the extreme weight of that. He invites Peter, James, and John to go deeper with him, to, to enter in more with him. So that Jesus could pray at the garden. The three were also allowed to be with him on the Mount of Transfiguration and see him in his glory. He's training them up, isn't he? Those three especially. He's, he's ministering to them. He's letting them see who he is and what he's all about. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus wasn't just to follow Jesus. To be a disciple of the rabbi meant, I want to be like the rabbi. And Jesus was going to train, especially Peter, James, and John, how to be like the rabbi. And then to pass along to the rest of the disciples all that they had been taught. That's the way Jesus made disciples. And as I'm reading this passage, I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus was all about making disciples. That we should be like the rabbi. And I think one of the questions for all of us in our spiritual journey as we follow Christ is are we making disciples? Are we helping the next generation, to know Jesus, to be like the rabbi. And really asking the Lord, Lord, who would you have me pour my life into so that I can make disciples, that they may know you and see you? Jesus was training them up. He was making his disciples. And they were able to see all that he was going through and to experience especially the heaviness of Gethsemane. Jesus enters into Gethsemane, and it's like a tsunami comes upon Jesus. It hits him, overwhelms him. Look at verse 33 and the words that are used. He took them there to that place, and he was distressed. He was Troubled, My soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. The wording in the original language has the idea that he was struck with terror. Terrified, surprise. He knew what was coming, but as he looked in the cup, the cup that he had to drink, he was overcome with horror. No one's ever experienced the anguish that Jesus experienced in his soul that day in the garden. He was very heavy of great distress and and anguish. 
My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. It means to, to be overwhelmed with sorrow. It's where we get our word periphery. I am surrounded with sorrow to the depths of my soul. The olive press is crushing our Lord Jesus. He's experiencing all of his humanity in the garden. And it's overwhelming him. He knows it's why he came. He knows his purpose was to be a sacrifice, a ransom for many. But in his humanity on that day in the garden, he is crushed by the press. He said, I'm even unto death, to the point of death. His heart so broken that he thought he might even die in the garden. This is what our Lord went through for you and me. And what does he do? And what does he reveal to us? What does he do when he's under the press of the garden? He goes right into the only place that he knows where to go. He goes into prayer. He goes into the presence of the Father, the good Father. It's hard to think our God is good when we're in the press, isn't it? But it's because he's good that Jesus is in the press. And he goes to the Father in prayer. And he spends time in intimate. This is where we feel like we're entering into a room we shouldn't. It's this intimate crying out to Abba, to Daddy. Prayer for Jesus was as necessary as breathing, wasn't it? Are we coming to our Father in the middle of our distress and crying out in prayer? It's the only place we can go. So many times we try to, we try to find a book or we try to find some, some medicine. We need to cry out to our Father. He longs and He wants us to enter in. I appreciate what Ray Stedman says in his book, Talking to My Father, about prayer. The purpose of all faith is to bring us into direct, personal, vital touch with God. True prayer is an awareness of our helpless need, an acknowledgement of divine adequacy. Although God certainly knows all of our needs, praying for them changes our attitude from complaint, from distress to praise. It enables us to participate in God's personal plan for our lives. Let's look at this prayer. He cries out, Abba, Abba. He fell onto the ground out of grief and despair. Abba, it's Daddy. That's who the Father was to him. Daddy. He would cry out Daddy often in his life. He would talk to the Father and speak to him as Daddy. During his ministry, there was joy and crying. It was daddy, like calling out daddy when you're gone for weeks and you come home and, and there's an excitement. Daddy! 
And then there's the cry of daddy like a child who falls into a pool and cannot swim. Daddy! This was our Lord's cry. Intimate with Abba. But you know what? So are we. You're not, you haven't received the spirit of bondage to fear. You have, dear children of God, received the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry, Daddy. In the middle of the press, Jesus cries out, Daddy. Are you there? Are you in the garden? Cry out, Daddy. Call upon Him. Let Him reach out to you. Jesus says, remove this cup from me if you can. Can this hour pass from me? What is Jesus asking here? The cup is the cross. The cup is what will take place on the cross. I don't think Jesus is asking at the moment to get out of going to the cross. He knows He was born for that purpose. John 18 speaks to that. Revelation says He was the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. I think think it's so much more than than knowing that this is going to be an agonizing, painful death on the cross. May this hour pass. Take this cup from me. Jesus, who was sinless, who was in intimate, beautiful relationship with His Abba, Jesus, who always had connection with his Abba and had no sin, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, became sin. Everything. Think of all of the worst sins in the world. He became all of that. For you and me. Is there some other way? Is this hour able to pass? Can you take this cup from me? The cup is the wrath of God that Isaiah speaks of and Jeremiah speaks of. In Jeremiah 25, Take from my hand this cup, this wine of wrath. And make all the nations who I send drink this wrath of God, as God speaks to Jeremiah. They shall drink it and stagger and be crazed because of the sword of wrath that I am sending upon them. The full wrath of God was going to come upon His beloved who had no sin and who would become sin. Take this cup from me. And I talk to people who say, I have no sin. What sin? And Jesus in the garden was taking it all. As he was headed to the cross. An agonizing, so extreme, what it must have been like for our Lord. 
in relationship, in intimacy. Tim Keller says it this way in, in relationship to, to us having intimacy with one another and that tearing that was taking place. Tim Keller says, if, if after a Sunday service, after a Sunday morning, a member of my church comes to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again. Keller says, I would feel incredibly bad about that. But if today my wife comes to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, my heart would be broken. The longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of the loss. Jesus was recognizing the torment of the loss of relationship. Keller goes on, but this forsakenness, this loss that was between the father and son who had loved each other from all of eternity, Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. And the answer is, for you and for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. That we would never have to take that full wrath of God upon ourselves. Jesus would drink the cup. So painful for our Lord Jesus. Yet did you ever think about what it was like for the Father, for Abba? So proud of His Son. Think about your love for your children. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. My son Caleb is graduating today. Can be prouder of him. But imagine the scene. Imagine being at graduation today. And Caleb is just about to receive his diploma. Keena and I and the whole family just so pleased with who he's become in his faithfulness to the Lord. Imagine the scene. He's just about to receive the diploma and comes bursting in a SWAT team through the ceiling, through the windows. They crash in. They grab my son off the stage. They drag him away and they take him to death row. And then they come and they grab me and they usher me out. They take me far, far away to a cave somewhere, all of a sudden into an elevator shaft that takes me deep into the ground like the president being ushered away in a terror attack. Mr. Ritchie, we need to keep you away from your son. Our Lord was completely, the Father, completely shut off from His Son. He could not be in the presence of wrath, of sin. His wrath had to come upon that. He couldn't be in the presence of all the sin that was upon His Son. 
His beloved that He was so pleased with. Can you imagine? But you know what's even harder to grab a hold of? Is that the Heavenly Father, the good, good Father, arranged all of this. Do you know why? Because He's good. So that we could have relationship with Him. So that we wouldn't be destroyed by the weight of our sin. That's our good, good Father. Jesus is praying, I don't want to be separated from you, Father. I know why I'm here. And he draws near an agonizing prayer. Three times he's coming out. He needs fellowship with the Father. He needs fellowship with his disciples. And they're heavy burdened also, and they keep sleeping on him. He needed them right there. You know what? If you know someone who's going through Gethsemane, and even though you may have a lot of heartache in your life or just life is busy and full, I just want to encourage you, don't sleep on your friends who are in Gethsemane. Get yourself out of bed, even though you're exhausted, and go be with them in their grieving and in their overwhelmed state. And ask the Lord for strength to do so. Jesus needed his dear brothers that day. In his humanity, he needed them. But Jesus cries out to Abba. There's an interesting prophetic connection that I saw as I was studying Isaiah 51. As he comes out to his disciples, he's like, Wake up! Stay awake! Stay alert! I want you to to be with me in this. Wake yourself, Isaiah 51 says. Wake yourself, he says it twice. Stand up, O Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, your God who pleads the cause of His people. Behold, the Lord God says, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. I have taken from you the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more, Isaiah 51 speaks. And so it goes on in Isaiah 52. Awake, awake! Just like he's calling out to his disciples. Wake up. Stay alert. See what's happening here. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. You're going to be redeemed by my Son who's going to take all of your sin and take all of my wrath and you shall be redeemed. The press on the garden that day was heavy. Jesus prays right in the middle of the garden, Lord, if there's any way, can you take this cup from me? But then this beautiful prayer of submission, what do we see? What's the oil that pours out upon us as we learn from our Heavenly Father who's a stone throws away Luke says, I think the disciples, even though they were weary and tired and falling asleep, they were catching what's happening. A stone's throw away 
Jesus is going into a place of submission and obedience. Hebrews 5, 7 says this, Our Lord Jesus, He was heard because of His reverent submission, His piety. That was the turning point. God heard, God answered. Philip Yancey wrote this, When Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he did not get that salvation. Instead, he got the salvation of the world. Yet not what I will, Father, but what you will. You see, that statement where he trusted the good, good Father, where I know it's hard to trust in the middle of the garden, that statement of not my will, but your will, That's where victory was won. Right there. Submitting to the Father who he knew loved him, who he knew had his plan played out, who knew that his hands were in the Lord Father's. Father's hands. His life was in his hands. He taught his disciples to teach, Thy kingdom come, pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Same prayer and speaking of his mother Mary, wasn't it? I don't get how this is all going to work, but thy will be done, Father. Thy will be done. You can pray like Jesus. Take this cup. We can pray, God, deliver me from this. It's not wrong to pray that way. But do we pray the rest of the prayer? Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will. Watch that you are not tempted. Watch that you may not enter into this temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's he telling his disciples at this pivotal, excruciating time? What temptation? What's going on that Jesus would enter into? You can only imagine the incredible spiritual battle that's taking place in the garden, can't you? Do you remember when Jesus began his ministry and how Satan tempted him in all these ways to test God? Do you think Satan left him alone in the garden? Are you kidding? Some have said, oh, it was a great victory in hell when Jesus won on the cross and died. That's the furthest thing from the truth. You know what I think was going on in that garden? That the enemy is whispering these lies. You don't need to go to the cross, Jesus. The Father's not good. He doesn't care about you. Who would put his son on the cross? You don't need to do that. Look at these wretched people. You want to die for them? It's not worth it, Jesus. They're going to forsake you. Your father's going to forsake you. It's not worth it. Satan knew that if Jesus went to the cross, it would be the final nail in the enemy's coffin. And Jesus, in his humanity, battled that temptation, don't you think? Boy, to do this, it's going to cost a lot. To abandon, to bail on going to the cross for you and for me. The temptation, I think, for the disciples 
was going to be to abandon, to bail. Spirit's willing. Peter's always going, I'm with you all the way. And it goes for us as well. Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so we keep crying out to Abba. How do we survive in the Garden of Gethsemane? What's the oil that we can receive from our Lord? I think we can see from how he entered in, and we can receive this this oil of intimacy with our beautiful Abba. Again, Galatians speaks to that. We can cry out, Abba, Father. We have a spirit of sonship with him. We can receive the oil and the anointing of presence. You know what it says in Luke? It says, and the angel showed up and ministered to Jesus in the garden. Sometimes it feels like you're in Gethsemane alone, but I want you to know you're not. Let the Lord minister to you. His presence, His oil will pour out on you in the garden. That as we surrender, we receive that oil of peace as we place our trust in our Abba, our good, good Father. And that oil of strengthening, that oil of endurance that He helps us in our darkest struggles. That in our weakness, His Spirit cries out for us. You see, we can be assured that because Jesus faced the garden and depended on the Father and went through and had victory there, we can be assured that the Lord will meet us in the garden He may not deliver us from the pain and the suffering, but He will be there with us. And He will help us to endure. He will help us to persevere. He will help us to cry out to the Spirit, to the Father, even when our spirit doesn't know. Our heart doesn't know how to even pray. And the Spirit prays for us. Jesus went through the garden. And he made it all the way to Calvary and died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, we receive from that press his anointing, healing oil upon our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you. It's hard for us to even imagine, Father, what it was like in the garden that day. It's hard for us to grab a hold of that. And so, Heavenly Father, as we take communion this morning, would you minister to our hearts? Would you help us to see, to know all that you went through for us? And Father, I know there are some in this room who have not received your saving grace. And may they this morning, through your Spirit, know that they can be forgiven that they do not have to take the wrath upon themselves as they believe upon you. And so, Father, speak to them this morning. Thank you for going through the garden. Thank you for surrendering your will to the Father and going all the way to Calvary on the cross. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.